Psalm 23, probably one of the most well-known readings in Christendom, in the world. I think even, even non-religious folks have heard this, especially in the West. They'll have heard it somewhere, somehow, and it's, a, um, it's like, like a calming, giving hope or comfort kind of psalm. And I want to continue on in that today. But before I do, as I have been doing, uh, I found some pretty neat devotionals from Henry Nouwen. And I want to share another one that I thought was really, really good today. It's called The Most Important Choice. If I die, it doesn't start great, just a really good start to encouragement. If I die with much anger and bitterness, I will leave my family and friends behind in confusion Guilt, shame, or weakness. When I felt my death approaching, I suddenly realized how much I could influence the hearts of those whom I would leave behind. If I could truly say that I was grateful for what I had, I had lived. Eager to forgive and be forgiven, full of hope that those who loved me would continue their lives of joy and peace, and confident that Jesus, who calls me, would guide all who somehow belonged to my life. If I could do that, I would, in the hour of my death, reveal more true spiritual freedom than I had been able to reveal during all the years of my life. I realize on a very deep level that dying is the most important act of living. It involves a choice to bind others with guilt or set them free with gratitude. I thought, whoa. It reminded me of some of the funerals that I do <laughs> because I usually read a poem called The Dash and it's a reminder of, you know, you got your birth date, year, and the end year on a tombstone and there's a little dash and that dash represents your life and how you live in your dash is the kind of the concept. But here, there's, the idea of freedom is what caught my attention because we... We want freedom. We think we understand what freedom is. Well, if there's ever a time in our Canadian culture where we have to revisit what freedom and rights are, it's now. Now we're getting all the opinions. And I will say, and at some point I will share this with all of you, um, but uh, Bruxy Cavey has written an incredible article. It's only one of three. He's only written the one so far. But he talked about this. And I've been impacted by because he put it into words really well. Like some, some people can just put it together. Other people can just spout it out. They don't quite are, they can't, they can't say it clear enough. It's just, bleh, there it is. But some people are masters at putting it together and luring you in and helping you think it through and be more of a, a critical thinker. And that article is really, really good. You'll have to look it up online. But it's talking about rights and freedoms. And the summary of that article was, is your right, oh, sorry, have you been forced to stop worshiping Jesus? Like, is there anything that any of these guidelines in our world that prevents you from worshiping Jesus? The answer is nothing, not in Canada. So they're not gone. Physically getting together is one thing. But you got to read the article. That's all I'll say right now. I don't want to go too far, otherwise I'll dip into a category I don't want to touch. Um, but the reason I'm doing the Psalm 23 is because there's so much stress around all those topics. 
Nobody knows how to have interactions with one another. There, there isn't a safe way to have meaningful conversations on things of conflict. And I think we need to find a way to come back to relationship, back to trust, so that we can, we can have those conversations without fighting, but having meaningful discussion. And Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that brings us back to center, brings us back to a place of, hang on, what is life all about? And I think this is the big one. I'm going to read to you, uh, each week I've read Psalm 23 from a different version. The first one was King James, last week it was New Living. Now I want to reread the Passion Translation just to get us started and to recap some of what we've talked about. This is from the Passion Translation, I love this version. Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me. For you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my cup overflows. So why would I fear the future? Only goodness and tender love pursue me all the days of my life. Then, Afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. It's different hearing it in another translation, isn't it? That's not how I remember it. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> it's funny how people react to this. Yeah, well, let me remind you of what this whole psalm is about. David is writing this from the perspective of him being the sheep. Because remember, he's, he's mastered this shepherding job. He's no longer an apprentice. He didn't write it in his first year. And here's the key. This psalm is about love. It is about others-centered love. Caring for others constantly. Every single sentence, every sentence is about others-centered love our Father has towards us. And if we see that, suddenly we realize and feel the love of God coming at us from all things. It's like Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, the word of, uh, love there is the Greek word agape, which is others-centered, never self-seeking. And that's the theme. So quick recap of what we hit so far. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, this is about recognizing Jehovah as the existing one. It's personal. He's my shepherd, my friend. That, in fact, the uh, Passion Translation translated it more accurately. 
in that sense, so that's really cool. Uh, then it makes me lie down green pastures, the idea of resting. Sometimes we forget that uh, uh, it's hard to rest when there's stress going on, right? When we have our to-do list going so big, oh, I gotta get this done, I gotta get this done, oh no, and you got all these problems hitting you, and how can you actually rest in green meadows? You can't, because you gotta get your to-do list done. But the shepherd makes us, okay? He'll bring you to a place of rest. Sometimes you don't recognize it. Still waters, this refers to the idea of the fear that sheep have. Sheep are deathly afraid of rushing water. They won't drink a single drop, but the shepherd will carve out a small dam and create a still pool, just like kids on a beach do when they build a moat and a castle and all that. They kind of bring it all up. It's kind of cool so the crashing waves don't take out their castle. Restores my soul. This is the reminder that our soul matters. This is about mind, will, and emotions, that that is cared for too. Sometimes we have some churches that deal with only emotional responses, or at least that's what it looks like. It's just, oh, they're just emotional chandelier swingers, you know, those. And then you have those, very liturgical, it's all about the head. Well, we need them all. This is about all expressions, because that affects the soul. And I think that's really powerful, and that he's the one who guides us. And then walking through the valley of the shadow of death will fear no evil. Um, we, the biggest emphasis, the most fun one for me was the rod and the staff. Um, because some people have thought, you know, we spare the rod, spoil the child. So that staff was a, um, a pretty big deal. But the rod was never used for smacking. <laughs> it was used for protecting, warding off evil, keep it away. The crook was for guiding and directing very different concept, but again, it depends on your background of what you grew up with and how uh, you were uh, schooled in faith and the perspectives you were given. Mine turned into the rod being the hitting, punishing, you better discipline your kids or else. And being a good German, I sure got it. Yep, it's pretty wild. Now comes the good part. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. If we slow down and, and focus the, on this, we realize there, the word preparest, um, again, I'm using the King James as the, the one we're going to work with as we walk through each line, because that's the most traditional, but it's fun to read the other translations. But the idea of preparing, this is about arranging, laying in order, ordaining, and doing it with delight. How many of you prepared meals for someone else? Now, if you're a parent and you're doing it for your kids and your family all the time, and they crab and complain. It's not what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the, the special dinners that you're preparing. But this is the delight of our Heavenly Father for us. Preparing, organizing. Some people like a big display. Uh, for me, I, I, I go big or go home. I, Lori will tell you, I make way too much all the time. She says, don't make so much this time. Okay. Nope. Big spread of whatever, you know. Package it up, freeze it up, whatever. But the idea of doing it with delight is what this intent is. That prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. A feast for me in the presence of my enemies, which means inside of, parallel to, or a distance prepper in front of. Here's an example. Um, if, if a shepherd was out in the field and whatever, of course they eat the food there, but at, if, if at night they, they can't get back to their fold, they even have a fire that's camped around. And the, the shepherd cooks up food for himself and stuff, whatever, and the sheep are nearby. They, they're, they're around that. And even the, if the fire's big enough, you can see the eyes of those animals that may be peering from the outside. Some are 
totally fine, but others may be wanting to eat them, sheep or the shepherd. <laughs> but right in the middle of potential enemies, there's comfort, a meal. There's something about a meal that's powerful, eating together. I remember uh, a friend of Lori and I, uh, when we lived in Barrie, he was giving advice to families in crisis in the school system. And one of the things he told almost every family, if I remember this correctly, tell me if I'm wrong, Lori, but I think it was have a meal. Just plan the meal. Because parents didn't do that. They just kind of sent the kids off and eat wherever you want, eat by the TV, eat by whatever. But planning an actual meal. And what if there's tension in the home? The enemy is tension, and there's the meal. It can deflect. This is more powerful than I ever thought. And it's done with the delight. And if you can't see your Heavenly Father delighting in you, then this might be hard. And that's okay. But the truth is, your Heavenly Father does delight in you, is excited about you, deeply likes you, forever loves you. <laughs> that's, that's hard. Because we think God's supposed to love us because that's his job, right? Job description. <laughs> God loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that a million times. But... Did you know he actually likes you too? And that's different. That's a different intimate level. It's like, a, hmm, I don't even like myself sometimes. So how can God like me? That, that was a hard one for me to, to really take. And it was a good one. And I've never forgotten it. Thou anointest my head with oil. This is a really powerful one. Uh, I love the idea of uh, the oil. I, I, for a long time, I didn't understand, you know, the pouring on of oil, I'm thinking, ah, that doesn't make any sense. But I found a few things that realized, okay, there is room for that. And I, I was unaware of sheep care and ways to help be tender and kind to them. So each, each of these lines is about other-centered love. Sheep are known to get into trouble a lot. They would get their heads stuck in brushes, trying to get food, cuts and scrapes, and they would bleed. And a shepherd would definitely anoint with oil to kind of either cleanse out and allow the process of healing to begin. You honor me by anointing, becoming prosperous, finding acceptance, taking away the ashes. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in medicine, so the medicine part's pretty cool because that's where the cuts and scrapes go. But the full, full-on pouring on was hard. Now, we've heard of um, uh, David and other kings being anointed with oil, well, it's not like here in the West when you get anointed by oil, you get a little, um, Pentecostal would say, you know, a little dabble do. And so that's uh, yabba dabba do. That's kind of the, the approach of the anointing with oil. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was literally a pouring on of oil. It's like, what about my clothes? How am I going to get this out? <laughs> like some of these practical things I would think of, right? But no, this is more. Sheep are known to get infected with mites and bugs at certain times of the year. And they would burrow in between the ears or in the nostrils. I know it sounds gross, but this is how it is. And a good, loving shepherd saw the distress of his sheep. Because this could sometimes kill the sheep. Because just, just from the anxiety that we built up and the pain and you name it. And the shepherd will pour oil on the head of the sheep, covering the head, giving a sense of calm, and it would be a layer of protection for a time. Like, whoa. Do your kids come running to you when they get a cut or scrape or a gash? Or <laughs> sometimes you get to run to the hospital really quick if it's really gross. But that's the same idea. 
quickly anoint, put on, protect, heal. You care for your kid. Nothing else matters but the problem right here. Right? When your loved one gets hurt, you immediately go to the care and leave everything else. Every other stress doesn't matter anymore. And that's what this is like. He is looking out for your best interests. When crisis hits, there's an anointing of oil on you, in you, through you, by the Holy Spirit to comfort. Sometimes we're totally unaware of it. We're too freaked out by our circumstance to even recognize and experience the peace of the Holy Spirit in us. But it's there. Sometimes in hindsight, we can look back and go, oh, wow, that was God. That's so cool. I wish I could have recognized it right then and there. <laughs> but that's one idea of that. And then my cup runs over. <laughs> this is about abundance, blessing, that we have been blessed, given much, much with even without deserving it, in a sense. In those days, I love this part now. If we could figure this out in, in Canada or the United States, this would be a really cool way to uh, you know, say, hey, guests, your night's done. But here, you'll understand in a second. In those days when a guest was sitting with his host in the evening, a host would often rise and refill the glasses. If the host came and only filled the glass half full, it was the host's way of saying, evening's done, go home. If, however, the host came by and filled your cup full, he's saying, I am enjoying your company and would like to stay, you to stay with me a while longer. Well, then the Lord filled David's cup, causing it to overflow. The Lord is saying, David, I love you and enjoy your company. I hope you'll continue to abide with me. This is like God telling us that he enjoys our company. He's reminding us that he loves you greatly. It is so easy to get distracted it's so easy to get focused on what we don't have. I was talking at uh, University Gates in one of the chapels recently that it is, it's pretty much impossible to be a complainer and be thankful at the same time. When you're complaining, you're focusing on things you don't have or things that are not according to your expectation. <laughs> But when you're thankful, you're thankful for everything you do have and changes your mindset. Grumpy people are not thankful people. They're focusing on all their griping and all their problems, and some of them are legit problems. But I also know people that have serious stuff going on in their lives that are still, they're thankful, but that's not the word I would use, but there has to be thanksgiving in that. But they're not complainers. They're not focusing on the negativity of the situation. There's some hope in it. Finding light and hope in the situation. And when you realize that the one who loves you the most is living inside you, and again, 20 years ago is the first time I realized that Christ lives in me. 20, 21, 22, whatever it was. I thought he was with me. I went to Bible college, and that's what I learned. I went to church my whole life. That's what I learned. God's with you. It's the Ernie. It's, no, it's Grover. It's the, you know, when you're bad, far, God's far from you. When you're good, near, and God's near to you. That's, that's, that's how God works. In fact, so much so that in, in youth group in the Pentecostal church I went to, said if you go to a bar or if you sneak into a strip club, Jesus has to wait outside till you're done, and then he'll tag up with you again when you're out. I'm serious, that was, the pastor said that. 
So the, the separation dualism was taught from childhood, but not here. Your father has never left you and will never leave you. Just like when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me, beside me. The word beside is incredibly important. Really important. You're not alone in your trouble. But I don't feel God. That's fine. Life is not about feelings. If you can feel it, that's a bonus. We tend to forget that emotions and feelings do matter. And I pray that people will feel and experience Jesus' presence. I pray that more and more now. Instead of, Lord, be with them as they walk through this difficult time. Yeah, that's real sincere. I meant it at the time, way back, but now I'm realizing, wait a minute, you are with them already. I don't want to pray a dualistic prayer. You know, it's like start, some of the church services begin, Lord, come, come and be here with us as we worship you. And he's sitting going, uh, hello, I'm here. <laughs> like, you know, like it's funny how if you evaluate a little better or, and, and, and just take stock of what you've believed, how little phrases and innuendos fed the lie of separation. Christ is in you and with you. And I think that's, that's really cool. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is huge. Oop, I should have brought my hat. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> that's funny. Okay, surely. This word surely, this is about absolutely, for sure, seriously, wake up. Let me get your attention. Ding, 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 ding. That's what the surely is. It's not a person's name. This is about absoluteness. Indeed, your goodness and unfailing love, which is faithfulness, devotion, favor, loyalty, mercy, unchanging love. It says here goodness and mercy, but I love the unfailing love, the way it's worded in a couple other translations. It adds layers to this, because it all means the same. It's, it's, it's recognized as a whole collection of thoughts going on here because Hebrew writing was not just about dogmatic words. It was about thoughts and concepts. That's how the Hebrew language is written. So when we try to dissect Hebrew and make it separated and dissect each word, that really can mess you up. You're overthinking some of it. But I love this pursue. He'll follow me. Now follow me is what we grew up with. I followed my kids to school before and they weren't happy about it because they want to go independent. Follow, you know, we're following. Well, how about the word pursue? How did that hit you when you heard that word? To me, the word pursue is intentional. It's on purpose and relentless, not giving up. And if we remember that for our loved ones, including ourselves, that the love of God pursues us and there's nothing we can do to stop it, then our prayers need not be as desperate. It can be more praying that they will experience the presence. Instead of, find them, Lord, help them. You know, like, those are fine. We can pray that. There's nothing wrong with that. But to know he pursues us all the days of our life, that every day matters, <laughs> wow. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the word pursues, follow, means pursue, chase, harass. Oh, that's funny. After and hunts. <laughs> that's interesting too. 
It's not about sorrow, it's not about sadness, not disaster, not mourning, not fear, not evil, not grief, not poverty, not frustration, not failure, nor pain, but goodness and mercy shall be my experience. And you can find peace and hope in the middle of almost every difficult circumstance. I love how Jesus modeled being ready for when the worst was to come. We see him repeatedly going off to pray. Repeatedly going to hang out with his heavenly father. To stay connected. (coughs) To stay feeling his presence. In a different way. He always knew the presence of God was with him. But to still then go? There must have been something important about that. And I will live or dwell, return to, remain, inhabit, enthrone, remain in the house of the Lord forever. That's a long time. Hmm. To me, this is a psalm of hope, of much hope. Let's wrap this up. I got a number of slides to go, though. Ha <laughs> ha. So, some insights into Psalm 23. Secure in Jesus' love, that's what this is about. I am at rest in him whether I'm embroiled in the rush of daily responsibilities or seeking relaxation at the end of the day. That's what this psalm is talking about. Secure of being in Christ's love. Sometimes I need to take time to go out to a private place where distractions are absent and ask God for his peace, for his help to see true reality. His loving and guiding hand amid life's confusion confusion and distress or the idea of peace here instead of asking God for peace it's more about becoming more aware of the peace that is already present remember we've been given everything we need for living a godly life everything we lack nothing so even our words reflect what we believe so when we say please give me more patience or more peace we're saying that we don't believe we actually have it If you don't recognize that, maybe now you will. And go, oh, maybe, okay. And start praying in a more affirming way. It's only in solitude with the Lord of my life, of of my life, am I able to see clearly through the illusions that allow God's fresh wind to blow away the fog of self-reliance and restore the true confidence and security of life in his fold. Again, this is coming from Henry now, and I've picked sections from uh, a summary he had that I found much, much later. So often I pursue for myself the green pastures and the still waters. I strive for a calm and quiet spirit. I set my will to walk in the right path, but in all my seeking, I have forgotten that it is God who makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me to still waters. This is incredibly important. This is not about self-reliance. This is not about you trying to do it. Oh, I need to live the Christian life better. I need to get this correct. I, 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 I. Well, where's the focus? I. The psalm is about the shepherd, not the sheep. It's the source of all the care that's coming. So let him. Sometimes we try to help God out way too much. It is God who restores my soul and leads me in right paths. These good things are not discovered by my striving and will, at least not in the way I really need. 
or in a way that really lasts and really satisfied, they're found only when I let God lead me there. In dark times, I need solitude, not for my own rest, but to enter his. In these times, God touches me. He renews my courage and restores my vision of the bright future in him. Ooh, I like that. He sees me through. He shows himself to me in ways I never expected. (laughs) Absolutely. In solitude with God, I can enter into that work. I can make myself available to him. I I can submit to his will and rely on his grace and power in communion with God. He assures me that I am his. There it is. There's your identity. And that I will surely dwell in his house forever. It's a powerful, powerful image. I want to close with a reading of Psalm 23 from yet another translation called The Voice. If you've never heard of The Voice translation, it's, it's, it's quite unique. Uh, it's been around a while, but I thought this would be a, a fitting close for this, for, for today. The Lord's, the Lord's my shepherd from the voice. The eternal is my shepherd. He cares for me always. He provides me, in rest, he provides me rest in rich green fields beside streams of refreshing water. He soothes my fears. He makes me whole again, steering me off worn, hard paths to roads where truth and righteousness echo his name. Even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, I am not overcome by fear because you are with me in those dark moments. Near with your protection and guidance, I am comforted. You spread out a table before me, provisions in the midst of attack from my enemies. (laughs) You care for all my needs, anointing my head with soothing fragrant oil, filling my cup again and again with your grace. Certainly, your faithful protection and loving provision will pursue me where I go, always, everywhere. I will always be with the eternal, in your house, forever. That's pretty powerful. I hope the walk through Psalm 23 was encouraging. Next week we're going to just touch a little bit on, the, on the, what the Gospels say on, on sheep and shepherds then. And we have Thanksgiving in two weeks already. Canadian Thanksgiving for all of our U.S. watchers. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of cool. So let's, let's just close in a word of prayer. And I uh, uh, thank those that are watching online and those that are present here. Thank you for being here with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm that has spoken to people for over 3,000 years. It's been a source of hope and encouragement, a source of comfort in difficult times. But today I pray that it can become an encouragement for daily living as we recognize you are constantly meeting our needs, looking out for our needs and wants long before we even knew we had them. Thank you, Father, for your love, your grace that pursues us. I love that word. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, that's it. Thank you so much, everyone. And I look forward to chatting with those that are present and uh, those online. Thank you. Uh, Janet, you said uh, you enjoyed the music. That was the last comment I see on the thingy. So thank you, everyone. Have a great day.